0: hey guys what's up it is week 200 that's right 200 of these things never missed a show uh always uh, roughly out at the same time i know that i should have a big prize here but i'm gonna wait till episode 208 which will be the four-year anniversary of when i started doing the weekly shows so uh You know, hold hold your britches there. Uh, Yeah, I'm 107 years old apparently, but uh, yeah. So at 208, I'll figure out some sort of prize package. I'm not really. It's not really the money or anything, or putting something together. It's just the time. (laughs) I just don't have much time, and I like to spend my free time watching movies and other stuff. You know. So let's hop into this first movie, and this is definitely something special to me. Uh, This is second, third favorite movie of all time. So I'm not going to go over this entire box set, the Dawn of the Dead 4K from Second Sight, because I've probably talked about this movie to death, but I am going to talk about the special features disc and the extended cut and how it looks on 4K. Okay, now this uh, from Second Sight has three versions of the film on there. It does not have the unauthorized red edition, which is all known footage of Dawn of the Dead put in a one long thing that incorporates the um, you know extended and the... Um, your um, euro cut the zombie cut so okay i actually recently just got an 85 inch QLED lid um samsung tv with 4k hdr and a new sound system and i finished up the one movie i was halfway through on there but uh, it was a blu-ray it looked great but i decided that the first 4k i was going to watch on the tv with hdr and everything was dawn of the dead how how could it not be this, this monster edition of Dawn of the Dead? So I put it in there, I turn off my clarity, those weird clarity settings that make everything look like a soap opera because the first three seconds I was like, nope, that, that's gotta be on because this looks weird. But after that, um, I had never seen Dawn of the Dead look so good. And I followed it up through, you know, the old VHSs that you rent in the store to the Anchor Bay DVDs, to their, their um, Blu-rays, um, and eventually, uh, you know, the Euro stuff. And finally, this edition here. This is uh, the best I've ever seen it, the best it's ever going to look, I'm sure of it. Um, and so I, as I put it in, and let's just talk a little bit about the movie. Like I said, we did a commentary for it. But Dawn of the Dead is a masterpiece. It's a special moment in time for independent filmmaking when they can do a lot of things. George Romero is my favorite director. I think he's the best. I think he's the most interesting. I think he has the most to say. I think he comes across the best without being preachy. I just think that all in all, it's perfect. Um, Not to mention all the people that were a part of it, including Tom Savini's amazing special effects, the crazy cinematography, almost like guerrilla style, especially at the end. The way George Romero edits his films is completely different, too. Um, and you know, he'll do his action fast cuts, but matter of fact. And on top of that, basically the, you know, this is a continuation sort of of the story of night of living dead. And, and, and within that it's genius too, because night of living dead made 68 reflected its time and made comments about that. But Dawn of the dead is a sequel and it's a progression of the zombie outbreak, but it reflects the time it was made as well, which is really freaking smart. Um, and it's very hard to do a sequel like that. And they would continue with day and land and diary and survival. Um, The latter two, I'm not too huge on. But the first three, I am absolutely um, in love with. And then the fourth, I have some love for as well. But, uh, so Dawn of the Dead, it follows two SWAT guys, um, a helicopter pilot who does weather reports, and his uh, girlfriend who works in the newscasting kind of area. So basically... We're introduced to that, um, a couple of things right in the beginning here, uh, which I love. We have that news, uh, kind of chaos, newsroom setting, which George Romero, you know, came from that kind of thing with doing commercials and everything. So I feel like one of the scariest aspects of the first two dead films is the idea that we're seeing these kind of radio broadcasts and makes it seem very real. And Night, it was in black and white, so it had that even more realistic effect, but now we're seeing behind the scenes and the pure and utter chaos of everything and just the corruptness of the character Givens keeping uh, the rescue stations rolling on the bottom so people go there. Um, if pe- People tune out. Now, I-, I must mention that I did watch the extended cut, like I'm saying, and that's the one I typically watch, even though the theatrical is preferred. There is about 15 minutes. It's a 15 minutes longer in the extended, so there's more shots of Givens and lines here and there without and more gore and stuff like that. So therefore, if I'm referencing little bits and pieces that you're not familiar with, that's probably because you're more familiar with the theatrical cut or the Euro-Zombie-Italian Cut, but uh, so I, I just love all that stuff going on. And later on, there's more of these uh, things w- uh, uh, on the on the television they're watching with Millard Rausch and um, his performance of Richard France is, is absolutely perfection, um, just seeing it on the radio, his lines in this film get stuck in my head, they must be destroyed on sight and uh, just everything there, just the dialogue is perfect and everything about the movie is perfect, uh, not to mention the uh, crazy special effects for the time, I know that some people say the blood looks you know, fake, but it all adds to a quality and if you see something so many times and love it, that stuff just becomes another piece of a, you know another thing that you love about the movie if that makes any sense, but uh, the four big people in here are um, David Emge, Scott Reiniger, Ken Forey, and Galen Ross. I think they're all fantastic. I think they have a fairly naturalistic quality, and a lot of Romero's movies do have that naturalistic quality about them, but there's these well-placed movie lines that are just absolutely perfect to me. Ain't it a crime? The only person who could ever miss with this gun would be the sucker with the bread to buy it. That's just such a genius 1970s quotable line, um, when there's no more room in hell. Just so many things here. Um... The end is such a great climax because the group of survivors decide to hide out in a shopping mall during, you know, the zombies as they increasingly gain numbers and uh, there's so many lines that say what's going on. Um, you can't see. This place is so neatly wrapped, you can't see that it's a prison, too. Um, and eventually, there's a giant climax at the end. There's a tragedy with the characters, and one of the best uh, characters rising from the dead as a zombie of all time. Uh, there's another performance here where one of the characters is turned and they have the best zombie walk of all time. Um, so, there's just so much going on here. The idea that they're in the mall and they're infatuated with all these kind of consumerism stuff, and all the zombies are. Eventually, they're in the mall walking around, shuffling their feet, looking like shoppers that we would see on Black Friday. Um, Romero's movies always get better with age; they always do to me. A lot of I'm not saying the latter ones. I know there's a lot of things there, but even in Diary, there's moments in that Diary, the message and stuff that you're like, you know, he was ahead of his time on that one too. A lot of the stuff about the voices, um, so many voices on the internet blurring out the common sense voices, and there's just so much information on the internet now; it's blurring the real information, um, and it's just it's hard for a lot of people to see that stuff and everybody probably getting misinformation of that stuff and that's a huge thing about Romero's the misinformation. But uh I just could go on and on about this movie. It is like my second or third favorite movie and truly one of the shining stars of horror films. And honestly with Romero's I love all sorts of films growing up, but Romero's films, Night, Dawn and Day, they struck something in me where everything is held up to those, and everything I like <laughs> Really has a correlation within them. Um, we were talking on the 22 Shots and Moods and Horror. We did the Cronenberg movies that I'm going to briefly talk about this week, and we saw the correlation between early Cronenberg and some early Romero, which is probably why I love Cronenberg. So it's kind of like a thing that I hyper focus on as a young person, and then it, as I grow older, I, I kind of branch out with what I love. So I've always been a big fan of the zombie film, and I think Romero makes the best of them, you know, and that's really what inspired my love for the zombie film in general. But, anyways, uh, just just a fantastic movie filled with uh, great moments and great characters. And I love how he handles the racist scenes in here with uh, woolly in the beginning of uh, the SWAT guys that feels really normal. Um, not normal. I don't want to say normal at all. Cause it's, it's, it feels very natural how racism does occur. And there's like, somebody will say something. And a lot of people will be like, eh, they, you can tell it doesn't sit right with them, but they don't say anything. And you know, this is all going to blow up. But, um, uh, there's just so many great moments, and this movie obviously went on to inspire every zombie movie that ever came out after it, and uh, as Del Toro said one time, which I absolutely loved, when he had an interview with George Romero on something, he said, you inspired two zombie genres. The uh, zombie genre, uh, the you, you created two genres, the zombie genre and the Italian zombie genre, and he most certainly did, because uh, Lucio Fulci would take those zombies wrapped in sheets and zombie and just run with it, With the, I meant Dawn of the Dead and run with it in zombie and, and make them really great, and that feels like a, um, kind of a carryover from the old like a nuns and a la carte dressed in <laughs> those kind of weird robes and stuff so um it just feels very um i don't know how to say this like catholic religious to rub wrap them up in these robes and stuff and there's just so much good stuff about this movie that i can't say um enough about it it looks fantastic i was noticing details i never noticed before because there's a brilliant scene in the movie where um This is, uh, there's spoilers here, but Roger has already been bitten and he knows he's on his last days and they're just kind of enjoying them all because they've secured it. And it has these great, you know, musical numbers in here and they're all kind of playing the arcade and walking around. And Roger, um, he's eating olives right out of the jar. when he's wearing this goofy hat, and he looks so sick. And the music like peaks at this, and he drinks the olive juice just because who gives a shit at this point? It's kind of like something like I always wanted to do this, or I used to do this. I'm gonna to chug it. And when he's uh, in the bed, they have the homemade hospital bed, and he's really hurt and sick, laying there struggling. I noticed for the first time in 4K, because it looks so good, that there's a couple bottles of uh, olives sitting down there by, and the mess on the ground. And I was like. I would have never noticed that before also you know you see little details because I was always one of these guys who's trying to point out all the different bikers in there like oh who's that guy who's which were these guys how many of these guys are gonna die where do they die and who's getting ripped apart at the end and stuff like that because like I would hyper obsess about this and dawn and, and night dawn and day I even used to write my own I was like super nerd like 12 years old writing my own fan fiction and even started writing some when I was in college just carrying on to the bikers leading what they were doing leading up to the mall And I had all these characters named and stuff like that. And although some of them do have names like Mousy and um, Pedro and uh, stuff like that. I I seen like just little, you know, these informations that deep dive in there. And Blades and Sledge, of course, and and whatever. But I've just always loved this movie. I adore it. Uh, There's nothing quite like it. Such uh, amazing guerrilla independent filmmaking, but on a bigger scale. A scale that's unmatched when it comes to that kind of stuff. Um, And there's just... A community about it, you can tell. Uh, everybody has so many nice things to say about George Romero. Um, And you just want to be a part of it. You just feel that energy throughout. Um, As far as the special features are concerned, like I said, the extended cut did have, I think the commentaries are probably carryovers. I'm not 100% sure if they did any new commentaries on here, but I'm going to read off the back because I did watch all the special features, or I have seen all the special features previously that are not new. But um, we have the theatrical cut, new K4K scan, all that kind of stuff. There's a commentary by Romero, Savini, Christine Forrest, and a new commentary by Travis Crawford. That's what I probably should should have listened to but i didn't get a chance and then we have the extended uh cans cut which is also known as the director's cut which is inaccurate is not a director's cut is the extended cut years ago um anchor bay put it out on as a director's cut double tape vhs um producer, produce here using 4k scan of theatrical cut original camera negative and 4k scan of extended cut color reversal inter negative uh say so we have a commentary richard p rubinstein and then we have subtitles on this one for the first time uh, on 4K because I think the uh, old other Blu-ray, my Blu-rays that I had from overseas from did not have subtitles. So then we have the Argento cut and that has a commentary by Ken Forey, Scott Reiniger, Galen Ross, David Emge. And I think this is old carryover from the Big Dawn of the Dead box set. Now here's the cool um, thing here. We have a Blu-ray fourth disc which is region B, so if you don't have a region B player, you will not be able to play it. But just for you guys' knowledge, 4Ks are region free, so if you have a 4K player, you can play the 4K version in it. So um, then we have this new documentary here, our featurette, Zombies and Bikers, with John Apples, Roy Frumpkes, Tom Savini, Christine Forrest, uh, Tom uh Tom Dubinsky, Tony Buba, Tasso, that's Sledge, and a whole bunch of the zombies and bikers, and that's really fun because we have a lot of the bit players in here. Uh, you see them all, you know they're older and they're mentioning the the stuff that was cut and all sorts of stuff. It, it's pretty in depth. It's it's fairly long, uh, 58 minutes I think, which I love seeing that made by David Gregory, loved it. You get to see the point of view from a lot of people that you haven't heard talk about the movie because then we have mem- new one, Memories of Monroeville Mall. This was probably my favorite I think featurette on here. It was a tour of the mall with Michael Gornick, Tom Savini, Tom Belinsky and tasso 34 minutes and it has all these guys going through uh the the moroville mall and kind of remembering and everything and they're having a lot of fun and you see their energy and you can tell they have you know a a good friendship among each other and there's these uh they do all sorts of things on there they um go up to the roof which i loved so yeah that was really great and really cool and uh this is probably like the last time these guys are going to be interviewed about these movies so And then uh, not saying like, it's just like, cause I think this is the definitive release. Like I don't see anybody else putting this uh, something else out except in the U S if they have something, but I feel like they just carry over the features. Then we have new raising the dead to production logistics of, with Michael Gornick, Christine Forrest John Apples, Tom Dubinsky. That's really cool because they actually do get in depth a little bit about the uh, the alternate ending filmed and all that kind of stuff. Remember, everybody always talked about the 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 negative ending or the downbeat ending. And then we have the new FX of Dawn with Tom Savini, 13 minutes. New uh, Dummies, Dummies, an interview with Richard France, which I could have swore Richard France was dead, so it was great to hear him talk about that. And I never knew he had a part in Night of the Living Dead, which I learned. And then we have new the Lost Romero Dawn interview it was a previously unreleased archive interview and some of that stuff I think was uh, it, it felt like I think I've seen some of that interview maybe in the Day of the Dead stuff but because he says the real trolls that like Day of the Dead and I feel like I've heard that line before so I feel like maybe it's just the uncut version of uh, an interview or something like that then we have Super 8 mall footage of zombie extra Ralph Langer without this I did not get a chance to watch and then we also have the original document of the dead by Roy frumkes and the definitive cut which I have watched Watched before, and the Dead Will Walk 2014 documentary 80 Minutes, which I've also watched. And then we have a freaking three disc CD set, The Goblin Soundtrack, and then we have the Day Wolf Library compilation Soundtracks 1 and 2, and then we have a freaking. Um, dissecting the dead book in here and then to top the whole shebang off we have a novelization of Dawn of the Dead in here which is great to have too and it looks great it's also in this deluxe case it's heavy duty it has a bunch of pictures on the I think the dissecting the dead I skimmed through it a little bit I think there's some cool pictures in here uh let's just look at it again because I didn't get a chance to read the book and I did I love the cover art on this thing. You'll be seeing it in the thing. Oh it doesn't yeah there's some pictures and everything this I did not get the chance to look through some posters and everything like like that oh yeah very cool Uh, look at this power project violence theme for journey this is so cool this is legit then we have like music notes and tons of this is awesome this is one of my favorite releases of all time um for a movie that i can't i I, this movie deserves all the releases and this is one of the movies that if somebody's i don't really like Donald. i don't really get i don't even engage and i know it sounds like ignorance or arrogance but i just can't comprehend it's just pointless for me to engage with them about film. I'm sorry. And I know it sounds like a, oh, you're such a dude. I just can't do it. It's just, uh, I just wouldn't hurt myself. <laughs> if I had just been, like, I can't, I can't understand. I'm sure people have movies like that too, or that I don't like. And they're like, you're, you're so dumb. But like, I always felt like if you don't like a classic that you it's probably and 99% of the people like it, there's probably something wrong with you. And that'll probably come up later today in this interview. And I'll admit, like if I'm wrong, some stuff does not connect, but I can't see this connecting with... A person who loves zombie films or loves independent films or loves american independent films uh who, i mean romero is like a regional filmmaker at the best like the ultimate regional filmmaker I, I don't and i mean that as the utmost compliment because it's just uh you you get that great quality filmmaker within a regional filmmaker with george romero and he's the best he's the best for it and like him and toby hooper with the texas chainsaw massacre i think those are and night of the living dead texas chainsaw massacre i think are like what inspired for me, the American independent film and all the great ones that have come afterwards, so yeah, just a great release of, you know, one of the greatest things ever, and I, I just love it highly recommended, you gotta have it I got two, <laughs> just cause I ordered two just in case something, would, one would get damaged in the mail, and I, I'm just getting like crazy like that, in my old age so yeah, Dawn of the Dead, 4K uh, I'm I gotta check out the theatrical cut too, and the zombie cut, and all that kind of stuff and if there's anything to report that's not great, I will be here in the opening of the videos. Oh, um, did I mention David Gregory did do the featurettes and he always does a great job and he did a freaking fantastic job with them here. I was really happy to see his name uh, directed by David Gregory who runs Severance. So, yeah, get this. You need it. You need this in your life. Okay, uh that that was probably the most I had to talk about was in The Dawn of the Dead but uh, out all of the stuff uh, for obvious reasons. But now we have The Treasure of Dracula, the sexy vampire version. This is uh Santo the Silver Mask Wrestler wrestler in The Treasure of Dracula the sexy vampire version. First time on DVD um, first time in English and color. So, apparently, there is two versions of Santo, this this particular movie. Um, there's a black and white one with the nudity cut, and then there's a colorized version shot for more of the, uh, you know, global market and stuff like that. They would do that with a lot of, you know, other films. Like, I feel like Jess Franco and John Rowland had to shoot movies like that, too. But, um, okay, so... I've heard of Santo's name a bunch of times. People always like Santo and like his kind of like, you know, tropes are really the character type has been put into more independent movies that I've seen, like there'll always be a masked wrestler. And that's just really kind of a popular staple in Mexican horror films is this masked wrestler Santo. And there's a lot of movies. This guy who plays Santo is in like, I don't know, like 50, 60 of these movies. And this is the first one I've ever seen. Um, this is put out by VCI. This is a very low-budget, cheap movie, you can tell. But I was kind of impressed how it looked, really, because I, I it's a 4K scan. I didn't know what it would look like. Yes, and it is like kind of maybe faded a little bit, but I was impressed with the quality of it uh, for the most part, considering. And this starts off... And I didn't really. I went in blind. I didn't know it was going to be the sexy vampire version. I didn't know what that meant for a Santo movie, okay? So it starts off and it feels very 60s television, spy stuff, goofy, you know, uh, you know, mechanical stuff, whatever, you know what I mean? Like stuff that's scientifical nonsense. Like we're going to travel through time. Everyone is so poorly dubbed in English. I feel like they just grabbed the actors who speak um, Spanish and were like, now read this in English. It's, I don't speak English very well. Just here's here's it is, read it phonetically. And I feel like that's kind of what they did. So, like, they dub- somebody dubbed over that was just reading English phonetically because it comes across really awkward. So, essentially, we have Santo, who is a you know a machismo guy, but he's also a good-hearted guy. So. He wants to somehow test out his new time machine, but it, it basically sends somebody back into, like, uh, a different, like, in, you know, ancestor or something like that. Don't ask me how it works. I don't know. But essentially, it's just this weird spinning thing, the typical stuff you'd see in a haunted house. So he sends back his beautiful wife. She ends up in the time. and They're monitoring all of it. Somehow they can see it. She ends up back in this weird time where she's being preyed upon by this crazy vampire guy. Um, There's a couple kind of doctors trying to help her, but that's not going to stop this vampire from going after her. Um, And about 15 minutes in the movie, I was like, okay, we got this cheesy kind of fun thing. Some of the sets look cool. There's a decent atmosphere, like cemeteries and stuff and labs, and I'm enjoying it. But then um, about, like I said, 15 minutes into the movie, the vampire uh, the, takes this woman back to his headquarters, the, and then, like, I see these two women laying on slabs, and their breasts are pointed up, and they're they're nude, and I was like, wait a minute. I did not expect to see anything explicit in this kind of movie. Tonally, it feels like a 60s TV kind of serial, something that would be kind of parodied later on. And what proceeds is the most uh, boobage I've seen in a long time. And I was just like, I'm very shocked and taken back. Santo, I didn't know you were like this. No, but um, there was so many women, like uh, completely nude, although they were wearing flesh merkins or some sort of coverings there. But I was just kind of surprised that this was made in 68, 69 and it had that much much nudity and stuff. Um, Most I can think of for this kind of movie, this to be honest. So this was, I guess the international version and in color for the first time. So they shot two versions, like I said, one in black and white, one in color. So, what proceeds is some weird time traveling stuff. A hooded figure who's after the, the the vampire ends up having a buried treasure. It's Santo and this evil hooded figure are after it. So, not only is it a weird vampire period piece that somehow incorporates a lot of the pieces of Dracula, including the whole lame gag where it's like Dracula's name, the guy's name is Alicarda, and you're like, Alucard, you know, it's like, oh, is that, oh, it's that spell with the whole mirror gag, Dracula, they do it monster squad, which is a kid's movie, which makes a little bit more sense, but they do it in some other ones too. I was surprised that they did handle some of the, the vampire mythology about the soil, which I was like, Oh, eh, that's kind of neat that they incorporated the soil must come from, you know, they said when he was buried in it or, you know, from his homeland is the one I think in the actual novelization of Dracula. So they did some stuff that kind of took me back a little bit. and also surprised me with the uh, plentiful nudity. Did not expect to see that. Um, And it gets absolutely ridiculous. Of course, it... it you know, there's a wrestling sequence, how could you not? But uh, I, I enjoyed myself, I'm not going to lie, it was way better than expected. In the first 10 minutes, I was like, oh, we're just going to have some laughs and have some really poor dubbing, but I was kind of taken. it, it's better with the atmosphere than one would expect, it, it has a little bit more truth to the vampire mythos than I expected, or really kind of was just uh, a little intrigued how they're going to handle it, because I've seen so many vampire films and Dracula films and whatnot. And then I also was shocked by the um, rampant nudity, but uh, they did a really good job for like little budget you could tell this movie I just like it's so cheap like you're like I can't believe it even I can't believe I'm seeing anything but darkness but it is enjoyable and I would like to check out some more of the Santo movies um there's so, it's such a, it was one of these genres, like these subgenres or these kind of films that there were so many of them. I was intimidated because it had been so many. I have not seen any and there's just like 30, 40 of them. And I was like, where do I start? Um, so give me some Santo recommendations. What are the big ones? There were some trailers on here for some other ones where it looks like he fights a werewolf and all that kind of stuff. Um, I'm sure he has a million. I know there's like ones where he fights an Aztec mummy. I've seen the titles. It's just that there was just kind of uh, intimidating because I had no information about them personally. You know? But uh, yeah, uh, enjoyable. There's also a comparison between the black and white and color version on there, so check it out from VCI. Okay, this next one here is Journey into Fear by Dark Sky, and really this is gonna this is gonna be sold on its cast. Um, so this is kind of I guess you'd say like a spy kind of thriller, you know, movie. Um, and here's who we have in it. I'm gonna start off small and I'm gonna get bigger. Sam Waterston, Shelley Winters, Ian McShane, um, Donald Pleasance. And Vincent Price, that's right, and Donald Pleasance and Vincent Price do share a couple lines back and forth, which was made me very happy to see, because I don't know if they've ever shared the screen. I know they were in Monster Club together, but they didn't share any screen time. But, uh okay here we go we have sam Watterson, who works i believe for some sort of oil company he's traveling across the country and right in the beginning there's an attempt at his life he he um kind of communicates with like the uh wherever he's at the foreign people and every the foreign like uh maybe he goes to the uh, embassy and stuff and talks to people and they're going to try to protect him. he ends up getting on a boat because he's supposed to i don't know exactly the entry keys who's hes supposed to meet and what's hes supposed to deal supposed to be but there's people trying to stop him because there's going to be a price increase on stuff and they don't want that or they want the deal to work some other way but he starts to meet a bunch of you know kind of eccentric characters you have Vincent Price playing an Arab guy and Donald Pleasance playing an Arab guy they don't wear any makeup though so I guess it's probably less offensive and uh, Vincent Price doesn't even do a voice while Donald Pleasance kind of does one um but I feel like Donald Pleasance has played so many weird characters like that, from um, the character in uh, Phenomenon, this, the Scottish guy, and the one in um, Geez Murder. Uh, what is that? Murder Model Murder. Uh, the eighty-five one where he's like an Italian detective. He's always doing or Awake and Fright. He's always doing these weird accents, and it's just like they're not. And I don't, I don't know how good they are, but I sure do love Donald Pleasance. He's one of my favorite actors. Uh, just really fun to watch. So. Tunnel Pleasants claims to be like um A tobacco salesman, Vincent Price is some sort of doctor, and we have all these big elaborate stories about them where they're talking to Sam Watterson, and Shelly Winters and her husband are always constantly fighting, so it's just essentially this boat trip where you know somebody's going to try to kill him, and it's the quiet assassin Ian McShane, but who hired him, so who's who, there's twists, there's turns, there's some action, and some people get killed. I did enjoy myself, but it's really mostly for the cast. Um, The cast really pushes this one forward, you know, Uh, it it feels like, you know, Agatha Agatha Christie kind of who's done it who's the who can I trust who can I not there's not many special features on it I thought it looked okay but um, it's worth the price of admission to see that cast especially the one line that Donald Pleasance and Vincent Price share against each other it's like good morning or something like that I have a weird obsession where I have to see all of them act because I know like against each other because I know Pleasance worked with Lee and Raw Meat and Pleasance worked with um, Cushing and in, in the Flesh of Fiends I believe and he worked with, um, geez, I don't know if he ever worked face-to-face with uh, John Carradine. But, of course, all the other ones did work together, all four of them in The House of Long Shadows and a bunch of other movies, too. But, uh, yeah, anyways, just like seeing these classic kind of actors interact, it's always a, it's always a blast. But uh, Journey the Fear from Dark Sky, we're checking out if it sounds like it's up your alley. But it is, it, it's a little lackluster, but brought up a little bit by the cast. So, there's that. And it's in an the international. It feels like they're in a bunch of different places, so that's cool as well. Okay, this next one here, if you guys don't know, they drew the picks uh, for the summer series, Podcast Under the Stairs. If you guys don't know, this, this is a big elaborate series they do every year, and now they're on 2010 to 2019. It's the final one. I uh, threw my name to be in there. I basically have to... Um, it's a really complex show um, to explain the rules and everything like that, but I drew 2016 and 2017, so I have to pick five films that I want to put forward, whittle it down to two, and all the other hosts do that as well, and all together we're going to cover 12 films and put forth the best three to represent that year. So I'm kind of picking up and watching some 2016, 2017 movies to get into what I want to pick, and there's a couple ones I missed, a couple ones I want to revisit, so there's going to be a bunch of that, and eventually I'm going to have to watch all the ones that they picked to whittle it down so honestly I decided to pop in tragedy girls from technically 2017 so it has to um, get the release in 2017 according to internet movie database whichever place it was first released the country of origin so tragedy girls falls under 2017 this is one I missed and it sounded right up my alley because honestly I like stuff like spontaneous which is a great high school little thing and I feel like this is an assassination nation I like high school horror high school oriented movies when they kind of turn the whole genre on its head or are self-aware or doing something a little bit different. I don't, I can't watch a legit teenage angst without being like mm, or, you know, stuff like that. There's certain things that just make me cringe and, and be like, that's so stupid or so embarrassing. Tragedy Girls is a comedy. They're playing into it and I really thought it was funny. I, I think it's dark. I think it's it's really kind of going to rub people the wrong way, but I have a real sick sense of humor if you guys didn't know that. Uh, so I was laughing throughout. And I feel like this movie in the tone, kind of, um, it's a, it's darker, I would say, but it, it's a kind of a precursor to Freaky with Vince Vaughn, which I really liked from last year because uh we have Kevin Duran in this or Kevin Duran I think it's Kevin Duran um who feels kind of like the character of Vince Vaughn from Freaky a little bit so essentially what's happening is there's these two best friends who are obsessed with social media they that's all they care about is the attention and they have these um there's a serial killer going around town stalking young girls he has like his type and everything like that and he's mutilating them yada 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 it's played by Kevin Duran in a in a fantastic performance. This guy is really good. He's great in Real Steel. He's great in um, The Dark Was the Night, which has a terrible ending, but he's a very good performer in it. He's kind of an underrated actor. I think he oh, everything I've seen him in, he's done a very good job. And this one is probably one of my favorite performances he do, he's done. Very funny in it. Very goofy. Kind of your typical I'm a big dumb killer cat type. So essentially, um, the girls are trying to kind of. Get views and get attention through this 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 moniker they have called Tragedy Girls, where they have outrage towards you know public figures for not solving this murder. So one day they decide to stake out and try to figure out who this killer is and kidnap him, and have this elaborate plan where they're gonna have him kill people and then uh and kind of like teach teach them how to kill all this kind of stuff like that. But he's not having any of it. So they keep the killer um, hidden while they start to carry out more murders and start to benefit social distantly, socially, uh, social media wise, um, by killing these people and making these fake outrage and everything like that. And it's so like laugh cringy where you're like, Oh my God, they're like basically acting sad. Like there's such a tragedy. This person's dead. It's like, you killed them. But it's just so funny. A lot of the dialogue is great. The interactions between them, how, how selfish they are. I love, um, and it's a pretty decent gore, if I remember. This is very funny. This has got to have a certain like tone to it. It's dark, real dark, and uh, real ballsy for the time, especially when we had all that violence in schools and everything like that could rub some people the wrong way. Like I said, this is kind of a, uh, a humor that only a certain people will get. I think for fans of Heathers or something like that, this might be up your alley. I know a lot of people say Heathers doesn't age well, but I think it ages brilliantly. <laughs> okay? Um, same with uh, Spontaneous or Freaky or Assassination Nation. These are the ones that kind of come to me. Um, maybe Final Girls um, as well has that kind of tone. This is darker than a lot of those, though. Anyways, I really liked it. I enjoyed myself. I laughed quite a bit. There's some really good lines in here uh just very funny and uh geez who who else is in here who's the big craig robinson he's absolutely fantastic too um, very funny check it out um, it's not going to be for everybody but if it if it hits your street spot if it gets to your funny bone you'll love it like me so okay we're going to be a little bit more brief with these because we Kind of covered them in depth on the 22 Shots of Moods and Horror in Cronenberg Volume Two with Watson, uh, special guest Watson on there. Um, so, anyways, this is Rabbit by David Cronenberg. Uh, this movie is one that I've always had a love for. I saw it very young, and the movies I tend to love the most are ones that I saw young that um, I love then, and I grow up and I watch them and I see more in them and I love them even more, like Dawn of the Dead or Day of the Dead or you know Return of the Living Dead or. Uh, Henry stuff like that. Where I, I I've had a weird childhood, I know, but um, Hellraiser, <laughs> all sorts of stuff like that. But that stuff that I saw young left an impression on me, and this one is no different. So this is the second kind of horror film Cronenberg directed after Shivers. It shares a lot of the DNA of Shivers. It shares a it's a you know shares a lot of the DNA of the early seventies nihilistic kind of nihilistic stuff or whatever you say it. Um, I feel like some of the stuff's right out of Night of the Living Dead or the crazies. And then I feel like it kind of inspired some more stuff in the seventies as well. So we have this, uh, this couple who get in a motorcycle accident close to a plastic surgeon clinic and a plastic surgery clinic. Um, that definitely making fun of those people kind of in a way poking fun at them, which is way early than a lot of people would have done that. So it happens near a plastic surgery clinic. Marilyn Chambers, the famous porn star, gets caught under the bike and she needs skin grafts. They do an experimental procedure on her where the skin graft somehow creates a parasitic thing within her body that comes out and feeds on blood. But after the people uh, she feeds on, they don't just wake up and go about their day. They seem sluggish. They don't remember, but they also become rabid. And this kind of disease spreads among people. It's fatal and it becomes an all out, uh, you know, crazy uh, pandemic. So, anyways, I love this movie. Like I said, I think that um, Marilyn Chambers is fantastic in it. And it's really crazy that, you know, she is a porn star, but she's not super highly sexualized, even though she's using some sort of sexual nature to lure these men in and other people to feast upon them. Obviously, the little mechanism of the parasite underneath is like a weird mixture of sexual organs and stuff like that. Um, Uh, the science behind it is a little strange, you know, uh, I don't understand how that would work, but I guess that's science fiction. Uh, you know, that's definitely a mutation of sorts. Um, but I just love a lot of this movie. Like there's just lots of crazy things going on. It has a real post-apocalyptic look to it at times with the people in the gas mask and just lots of dark moments with Joe Silver and his family. Joe Silver's fantastic in this movie. Great, great voice, great character. Um, and kind of always has that ineffective male lead like that Cronenberg would like to use for a lot of his films. Almost the kind of uh, you could project on them or, or you know what I mean, or they're not really, they're kind of a shell of themselves or just lost in what to do. Um, I just think this is one of his best. I know it's not one of his most popular, but I like this kind of scope and craziness about it. There's lots of great scenes, including a mall Santa Claus that I love, a uh, car crash, um, somebody getting in a fight over um, some barbecue, Half chicken. Uh, <laughs> uh, just love the, love the hell out of the movie. I like that it takes place in this kind of plastic surgery clinic where he's always kind of making fun of ridiculous modern science, like the brute, which is absolutely ridiculous, or that kind of science gone wrong with uh, the fly or... And scanners where we have this this drug that is creating these uh, telepathic or telekinetic creatures, um. So not creatures; they're still humans, but gives them the power. Anyways, just just love this movie. It has a super dark, bleak ending. Um, and the line when she says, "I'm still Rose." Uh, that really resonated with me very, very much this time. Um, there are some special features on here, including some of the stuff that the Arrow release had, and an old interview with uh, David Cronenberg. I think there's some new stuff as well. Um, I thought the print looked really good. I was very happy with how it looked. Um, this one's just a great movie. Um, very interesting. Check out the podcast if you want to hear more on it. Always loved it. So, rabbit. Okay, the next one I'm going to be the most brief with, and this is um, David Cronenberg's Scanners. Also a classic. Um this one's got a huge reputation and I don't want to be too negative, but we get into 22 shots. I like the movie. I think it's great, but I think the shining star of this film is Michael Ironside. I feel like it's very much X-Men based kind of deal. So we have these kind of people that have these telepe- uh, telepathic or telekinetic powers where they can kind of control people or get them to do things and explode their fucking heads, which is one of the most insane scenes ever. And the movie starts out in such a highlight. It's never, never duplicated throughout the endings. Fantastic too. It has some really cool sets designs in here with like the art character and the big head and that whole weird kind of scene there but uh so we have this character stephen lack who is a scanner he's social misfit he doesn't really fit in and he's got void of all character to maybe the detriment of the film so anyways he is kind of sucked into this scanner program by patrick mcgoonan great actor from braveheart and i think the what is it show He was in some other shows too. The Prisoner, I think that was the famous show he was in, and Escape from Alcatraz of course, where he played a warden. So um, anyways, uh, he brings him into this scanner program to track down a a scanner who went kind of AWOL, a villainous scanner in Michael Ironside his name is Daryl Revick. And he basically has to infiltrate a lot. So we have this spy kind of thing. He's meeting a bunch of scanners and a bunch of people are trying to kill him throughout the movie. That's kind of the end. That's kind of the whole deal here. There's some twists and turns. There's an absolutely weird scene involving a nervous system computer scan, which I always was like, I don't understand. Oh, well, I mean, I'll buy the scanners, but I'm not going to buy him scanning a computer. Maybe I'm just, you know, dying on the wrong hill. But it still always seemed a little silly to me. Lauren Stain is in it as well. Lauren Stain is in Rituals and Rolling, rolling Vengeance and some other and Dark Man two. I hate meatloaf. Um, just uh, kind of a decent solid character actor but like I said Michael Ironside steals the show it's an early performance um, just everything he says is great there's a, some video footage of watching him that they documented which I think is great um, he's talking about just all sorts of weird things you could tell he's like kind of a schizophrenic or whatever man but it's the scanner kind of that it's hard to block out the voices so there's lots of cool stuff the music by Howard Shore is fantastic um, there's a lot of violence like I said but the end and the beginning are really the highlights and special effects I really like the movie I just don't love it as much as something like Rabbit or dead zone or you know a shivers or video or of the fly you know it's not up to snuff out of those early Cronenberg ones it probably is my least favorite and i know that's kind of weird because this one is it's got the name recognition it's got the four sequels and it's got the amazing cover art but hey it is what it is i like it i just don't like it as much as the other ones so that's scanners this uh blu-ray looked really good from criterion has features on there as well New Restored, uh, supervised by Cronenberg. A new documentary in the film's effects, featuring interviews with Cronenberg's collaborators, Mental Saboteur. A new interview with actor Michael Ironside. I didn't see that, or I would have freaking watched it. I'm sorry. Sometimes I slack on the special features. And then we have an interview with Stephen Lack from 2012, and an excerpt from 1981, interview with Cronenberg on CBC's The Bob McLean Show. And then we have Stereo in 2K, one of his early films, and trailers, radio spots, and a booklet. So it's a nice release, um, but, uh, I, you know, it's not my favorite. The, case is really, the cover art's really strange, kind of disturbing, but I guess that's what you want to go for with Body Horse. So anyways, yeah, that's Scanners. And then the last of the Cronenberg movies is one that he didn't actually write himself, and this is The Dead Zone uh, starring Christopher Walken based off the Stephen King story um yeah this is a strange one this is you know we had a good conversation about this on 22 shots i think kind of talking a little bit about it but um, johnny is the school teacher in christopher walken and the opening of the movie he's so young he's so like charming and funny and you just really like him you buy him as a school teacher kind of eccentric but kind of like just good natured and you really like him so uh he's in madly in love with brooke adams they have a great relationship um on the way home one day he has a car accident and he's put into a coma for five years. When he wakes up, the world's kind of changed around him. His girlfriend's moved on. And he notices that he has some weird kind of power where he can... He has premonitions where he can see the future. Um, right off the bat, he touches the nurse's hand and he notices... He warns her about something. This kind of throws him in the spotlight. And he is kind of being, you know... Uh, you know, kind of... It, it's a weird thing where people don't want to believe him. And they when they do believe him, they kind of fear him at the same time. Um... And then we have this kind of episodic thing where we have these three different kind of stories going along, I feel like. And and there's like kind of the main story with uh, the, you know, the guy running for president played by Martin, not president, Senate right now, Senator, by Martin Sheen. Or is it Senate? Whatever. Yeah, Senator. Da. Martin Sheen uh, kind of coming up in the background of Brooke Adams popping up here and there. But it kind of becomes episodic where he helps Tom Skerritt try to figure out who a killer is. And we get some cool stuff there. Um, good reveal, too. And then we have um, some stories about him teaching like a kid with Anthony Zer. Derby as his father and all sorts of things like that. And the final story involves a politician, which I I really liked. And it's very Stephen King. I think, um, Herbert Lom is in this film as his doctor and Herbert Lom is a shining star in the film. Absolutely love him. He's got the best line in here. Interactions with him and Walken are great. Herbert Lom, another one of these actors like a Donald Pleasance or Vincent Price that I'm always perk up when I see them. Always love them. Um, and I just feel like no matter how low rent somebody would think the movie is, they're not going to get a low rent performance out of Herbert Lom ever. But uh, yeah, anyways, I think this is a great movie. I think that Walken really helps the film. Uh, I think the end is a tearjerker. I really do um I, I think it's a great film i thought the the blu-ray looked fairly good actually i heard some negative things about it. i thought it looked better than expected from hearing those things i thought it looked good no subtitles though which kind of bummed me out but anyways that is dead zone and I, I think there is a couple features on here we have an audio commentary with steven jones and film critic ken kim newman the featurette's memories of the dead zone the look of the dead zone the visions and horror from the dead zone and the politics of the dead zone I feel like a slacker. I should have watched those. But uh, yeah, that is The Dead Zone from 1983. Made the same year as Videodrome. So he was very busy that year. Okay, so for the Patreon pick, um, two people wanted me to do Amityville Horror the original. So uh, I kept them both in the hat, and I did The Amityville Horror a little bit ago. So uh, Jonathan Wilhelm got drawn out the second time, and we kind of discussed that I would just review... Amityville 2, The Possession, which I have also not seen, from 1982. Uh, yeah, and I feel like this is an Italian co-production. Dino De Laurentis produced it, so you know what that means. It's going to be way sleazier and more ridiculous, and it's funny because he actually produced uh, The Dead Zone too, which is cool. So uh, anyways, Amityville 2, The Possession. This is the prequel to the original George Lutz story, which is supposedly based on a true story. Well, they it is based on a true story, but we're going to believe what the Lutzes said. But uh, David De, uh, DeFeo uh, murdering his whole entire family along those lines. So basically what we have here is Burt Young moving into the family with uh, his young, his, uh, his kind of older teenage son, his wife, and what is it, three kids or something along those lines? I think it is three kids. So right away, this, does, this doesn't take any time to get started in the first half. It's unlike Amazon. Amityville, where there's, I mean, Amityville starts off pretty quick with the hauntings and spooky shit, but this is almost immediately, Burt Young walks in the house, and he's just like, he's like, and you can tell he's kind of an uptight prick, and kind of a semi, and you think he's probably abusive, maybe he's went, got mad and slapped his kids a couple times, you get that impression, but almost immediately, like, he starts to kind of slip and the family starts to slip, and we see this weird relationship between the teenage son and teenage daughter, where you're like, eh, it's definitely incestuous, and it goes there, it really does go there it becomes sleazy and dark and it's almost like they're believing everything David DeFeo said even though I'm pretty sure he's probably full of shit. So um anyways it's going off the poss- the real like if there was demonic possession kind of shit. So um there's some really cool scenes in here where they bring in the priest to bless the place and Burt Young doesn't want any part of it and he's um and this kind of impressed me because we're standing there with Burt Young and, um, all the people walk away and go into the uh, living room to bless the place, the priest and the family. And you hear him talking and instead of following him in or cutting, we stay with Burt Young for a little bit. And I was just like, that's a very nice touch to see the kind of anger on him or see how he's in or how he's, you know, inter- how he's feeling and everything like that. I thought that that was a really nice touch and different too, um, this is it's a dark movie. It, it's pretty dark. And we know what's going to happen. It's kind of like the Titanic. Well, we know it's going to sink. We know what's going to happen to them. And I thought the first half was really solid, really good. But then we kind of go with the second half. And we kind of have the one hit I have on the Amityville Part 1. Where we follow the priest too much. And they don't ever really intermingle with the family. This, this priest does. But you know what I mean? And we follow this whole priest story. And it becomes this kind of second-rate possession film. With the priest trying to fight the house and take care of everything. And I just didn't have much... Um, you know, time for that half of the movie. The first half I thought was really good, really solid. The second half, I could take it or leave it. It's not horrible, but overall, it becomes a good movie because of it. But the first half is, is pretty special, second half is pretty mediocre, and I don't want to be a jerk about it. It's very, very generic. Um, but hey, it's the Amityville 2 possession, obviously inspired by doing exorcist kind of stuff. If they have a possession in there, so you know where it's going to go. Uh, and i enjoy the movie i think it's good i just don't love it i i put it on par with the first one maybe a little better because i like them both i think they're both good movies i like them much better than the remake and much better than another ghost movie i'm going to talk about t- this week but yeah okay this next one i'll be really brief with this is a survive 05 and this is constantine i remember this came out um i was not familiar with the comics uh of constantine And it was at a time when like, you know, Keanu Reeves didn't have a good, you know, everybody's like, ah, it's Keanu Reeves. He's kind of mediocre, kind of bland. Um, I don't hate Keanu Reeves, but he's not the most versatile actor. And I don't know if Constantine, the character needs to be versatile. And I've heard a lot of people say he does a good job in this. That's how Constantine is constantly smoking cigarettes, but I don't know. It's just, okay. So it didn't, I didn't have much time for this movie when it came out rewatching it. I, I, I feel kind of the same way. I don't think it's a bad movie. I don't think it's poor. I think the idea that this is a kind of a comic book movie and it has a lot of dark elements in there kind of kind of excite people and i can understand that um so constantine is this um damned guy who uh you know he basically performs possessions to help people and fights demons and all that kind of stuff but he's damned and he is sick and dying and not doing too well probably because he smokes a million cigarettes a day and uh, he gets drug into this kind of story about rachel wise's sister killing herself she doesn't believe that she could have committed suicide and He basically is going to try to help her fix the situation. Meanwhile, demons are attacking him and stuff because there's kind of like a turn. Tilda Swinton is in here and she plays an angel. Love her. She's great. Great actress. Um, Prute Taylor, um, whatever his name is, uh, the guy with the stigmatism in the eye is also in here as a priest who helps out. um, Constantine, also a fantastic actor and he's got a pretty cool scene in a a convenience store, grocery, uh, I guess a gas station or whatever drinking a lot of, or trying to drink a lot of alcohol. So like, there's a lot of cool things about the movie. Like I think that the look, sometimes there'll be these really nice shots of like, them just standing in office with like windows and like the shades and stuff. And I was like, this reminds me kind of a film, noirish, which I think is cool. So I kind of like that stuff a bit. Um, I do like that. It gets a, you know, a little weird, um, but I, and it does get kind of decently action paced, but it doesn't really keep my attention. And um, like, I think I have a weird thing where like, I like mythology of other reasons, Religions, or dark mythology, or Lovecraftian mythology, or mysterious mythology. But when we start getting into like the Christian mythology and changing it and making it, or doing weird things with it, I just. This one really comes really angsty, uh, and that line where he's like, "I know," one uh, Jeremy always quotes it and laughs at it. He's like, "God's just a kid with an ant farm." Doesn't it? it just sounds way too edgy? Like, and it just dates itself. Where you're like, "Okay, we got it, we got it. Life sucks. It's dark," and it's just not much humor within it. Uh, and it could have used some humor. Maybe there is humor. I'm not saying, but this movie could have used some humor. It really could have. And Shiloh LaBeouf's in here too. Um, and I know it's like people like, but this movie doesn't need humor. Well, it, eh, I, I just can't take it seriously. It, it just doesn't do much for me. I don't think it's bad. I don't hate it. I like it decently. It's just um, nowhere near my top 10 of 2005. Um, and that's probably not that hard of a list to get on. Not, not to be too negative. Not to be too negative. But yeah. So uh, Constantine, I watched it on Vudu or uh, Amazon. I have a, one of us bought it on Digitally. I don't remember when, but yeah. So, I mean, check it out. Uh, A lot of people really like it. And it's got a good cast. Tilda Swinton's fantastic. And Peter Stormare is in here as a devil, which is one of the weirdest devil performances I've ever seen, to be honest. I'm not sure how I feel about it, but uh, he's a great actor nonetheless. So anyways, Constantine, 2005 and there's a really cool bug demon that part is actually awesome i give it up for the bug demon i thought that was a cool touch um yeah and and the cgi does not look that bad for 2005 to be honest it's not like horrible embarrassing or anything like that it's not really what does it it's kind of the tone and maybe that is the tone of constantine but maybe it works better staying on a comic book page i don't know and um, a lot of people do enjoy this one so hey all right we're here for blind spot and, uh, yeah, this is my pick. I didn't do Hour of the Wolf this week. I, I had a short week, so I was like, I, I'm in a long week. So I basically squeezed in The Conjuring, which was a movie I had not seen. Um, it came out in 2013. It, had a, it was hugely popular. And it was a movie that I looked at, and I just could definitely tell that it was not really up my alley. It's not really exactly something that I would be wholly invested in. I like old ghost movies from the 70s, and I like a lot of foreign ghost films like uh, Satan's Slaves or anything, Possession, Supernatural films. But as it comes to American movies, the mainstream ghost stories always just rub me the wrong way. So I put it off for years, so we finally got a chance to watch it. And um, I've recently been watching the Amityville movies. I watched Amityville, Amityville Remake, Amityville 2 Possession. So I've I've been watching a lot of Amityville. So, uh, jeez, I don't even know how to go about this. Um, This isn't for me.
1: It, it's I don't know like we watched it was Exorcist part of the Blind Spot yeah Exorcist three was yeah. and I also recently watched the Exorcist and the Exorcist three I've seen most of these
0: movies I hadn't seen the Amityville and the Amityville possession but I seen the or Exorcist three those were all first time watches right um, which is strange it's like it's, it's a genre that I always kind of avoid it's not really my thing like I said some of the older ones I really enjoy though um, this follows um, who is it the Warrens I can't think of their first names Jeff. Oh. No, it's no. not Jeff. Um, <laughs> I don't even know why you said that. I don't know why. It's not even close to Jeff. Um, the Warrens, who are real figures in the, um, I guess you'd say paranormal world. But they were shysters, right? They, the whole thing is... Sh- I don't believe in ghosts. I'm sorry. <laughs> the, whole, the whole thing is stupid as shit to me. Um, I think there may be a scientific explanation to some of this stuff. But it always just... I know that's a movie. It's based on a true story. The Exorcist is based on a true story. Amityville whore is based on a true story. And those things I respect to a certain extent, probably because they have such a, a strong actors in them. And The Exorcist is it's it's about human interactions between the characters as well as the possession, you know? Ah. And it has other storylines going on. As as does this, this. The conjuring basically follows the Warrens, who I don't they they basically are contacted by this family. This is supposedly a true story as well. I'm, you know, just like any horror movie based on a true story, it's obviously going to have some things that aren't true about it. So the Warrens show up to this house of uh, Ron Livingston, I think it is. Ron Livingston or whatever from Office Space and Band of Brothers. Him and his wife, and how many kids do they have? Three? Five. Five kids? They're all interchangeable. They're just the same <laughs> It's like Amityville Horror where you barely, like the first one, where you're like, how many, how many kids? They're kind of all the same character. Um, are being haunted in this house. It, it's... I think people like this movie a lot, and I understand it, because it's a throwback to those 70s movies that they watched Mm -hmm. and they loved. And instead of watching, you know, 20 of those, it just does beat by beat the greatest hits of all these movies. And I know this, supposedly this story is based on true stories, so they could say this stuff happened and this happened, but it literally is the most predictable here. It's just comfort food for people that like that. It's very predictable, best of, beat by beat.
1: Well, like it's so beat by beat so predictable that like I thought that the case that was the true story was the amityville story for a good portion of the movie Um, (laughs) i think it is a different case though right yeah i I think so i you know i didn't look into any of this i don't know who the paranormal experts are but you know it's like oh we we bought an old house at like a discounted price we don't want to pay the mortgage let's say that it's possessed and that's the amityville (laughs) i I um, feel like that's that's these stories in general i thought that fake cockroach just moved and i freaked out for a moment (laughs) the opening of this movie not the opening, but fairly in the
0: beginning, in the quickly in the beginning, Ron Livingston and his wife are decorating, remodeling, fixing things up, and they find this, like, kind of this brack closet, and they knock this wood panel off, which immediately was the same story as the extra, uh, the uh, Amityville whore, mm-hmm. and they're like, oh, let's go down here, it looks like we have more storage space, so they go down there, start investigating, and he's like... Oh, I guess I'll start working on the furnace. It's like, you cannot buy... A, is this a second furnace in the house? <laughs> you can't buy a fucking house with the furnace. and Well, you don't know where the furnace is. You have to look at the furnace before you buy the house. It has to be looked at. It has to be running. Why would you buy a house without it running? Are they squatters? What the fuck is going on? Right, is I that a second furnace? That. It made no sense. Like, he, that would not be blocked off. Somebody would have had to get down there and looked at the furnace and made sure it worked. You wouldn't move into a house without... There's so many things wrong with it. It makes literally no sense, and it's in the first five minutes. Like, it's just like it drove me mad i'm like does somebody not understand like or did that really happen in real life are these people just that
1: stupid what? maybe they were just gonna like burn wood in the fireplaces I, I i don't know yeah but if
0: you look around there's a bunch of ductwork right. in the house you'd be <laughs> like this house should have a furnace it just made absolutely no sense and it was really sloppy it was really in the weird in the beginning like if I like, that'd be like breaking through the wall here and then like finding out like that there
1: was an air conditioning You, It just made no sense. Well, like, you know, in the beginning. um... And I don't what, think that's nitpicky. That's insanity. Well, what was what, it? It's not Rain Wilson. Uh, well, Wilson. Patrick Wilson. Patrick Wilson. Patrick <laughs> Wilson. Um, you know who he, I actually like. He's the best part yeah, of the movie. Yeah. Um, he, he's a fine actor. He was in a few that we've seen, but Hard um, Candy and uh, Bone Tomahawk and in the Tall Grass, all great in those movies. Yeah, but you know, but he, you know, he's talking about like his line of work and how he studies demons and it's demonology and like demons are things that not, like never walk the earth; they're never human. You know, that was like like the big thing. I learned that from Night of the Demons. And but but then like you know, we're trying to figure out the origins of why the house is haunted and like the house is haunted not because it's demons but because it's real people and like like a witch and then the maid of the witch and the, the witch down the street and, and, and you know it's so it's like so it's not demons it's ghosts it's real people it's like what, but what, annabelle
0: what's... was she a demon or something i don't the whole don't thing know. with annabelle in the very beginning like when they showed the doll like i laughed like and I wasn't me being like crossing my arms like when they showed the doll. i was kind of excited to watch this it was me a creepy good ghost story like and. It, it and then like literally they show the annabelle dawn it was like the way they filmed it i was just like Whoa. the whole opening oh yeah like, the whole wait. opening yeah so they record the the warrens i feel like record or document what happened right mm-hmm. and the opening it confused me because the, i feel like we're watching what's happening and having this 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 girl explain everything that happened and i'm like is this a recreation because i could understand the piss poor acting uh if it was a recreation but I don't think it is. I think it's supposed to be maybe like them documenting like the footage. but anyways, the acting and the opening from everybody except the Warrens was so bad that I was baffled. I was like, How much is this is this a cheat movie? Like maybe it was It was
1: under dog shit, I'm not gonna lie. Like I exaggerate No, that it was bad. Like that opening with like like the seventies girls. Oh, oh, the opening was bad. That's yeah, what I, I thought. Yeah, you what the I, entire
0: movie. I was like, the entire movie's not that. No, bad. no, no. The opening was the bad. The opening,
1: the like... it was so
0: bad. I figured that in the movie it had to be a recreation. Right, that I, they were
1: showing. I thought that the whole movie was going to be about the doll. No, that's Annabelle. I didn't. I, I don't know this. Stuff, you know, I just <laughs> There's like... three
0: Annabelle movies, two Conjuring movies, the Nun. So they're all are in the all... same universe. So
1: it's like the MCU of shit. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> WandaVision's great, by the way. Um, okay. No, the and this
0: is uh, by a guy named. They call it the WandaVerse, or well, I've heard people call it the Wandaverse. WandaVerse. James Wan, his name's Wan. This is the guy who did Saw. Oh, I it was a Insidious thing. as well, okay. and Death Sentence and um, Dead Silence. Uh, the latter two I really like. Um, it's just not for me, and it, it's. I don't sound like an ass here, but it, it's just like placating to like very religious people, like in ghost hunters, and I just ghost hunting in general mm-hmm. is. Very stupid to me. It makes me laugh. I can't help it. I think it's ridiculous.
1: You know, and, and... And
0: it's whatever one of people do, whatever they want to do, is fine.
1: Right. And, you know, I I don't... You know, I again, I didn't, like, research the trueness of anything. I didn't research the real people involved. But, like, the idea that the paranormal experts were, like, con artists... In real life. But in, in the film real version, they're different. And in this one, it's, like, they're not. They're, like, the legit thing. But, like, they... When they, like, introduce themselves and like we're talking to the family like interviewing them to get the information like they're playing it off like a con. Yeah. Like the you know the dad's like, "Oh, it, it knocks 3 times every day at this time" and, it's like, and the and uh Wilson. Wilson's like, "Oh, it's, it's cuz they're mocking the Trinity." It's like he's just like saying these things off the top of his head like it like re- just like responding to the information they're given and then like on top of that, like, the fact that in real life it was a con, or, you know, they were con people, and the yeah. fact that it plays out so Some well... Some people don't
0: think they are, but a lot of people do.
1: I don't know. I, I Again, just... I don't put any stock into, you know, paranormal activity yeah. of any kind. I mean, I'm yeah. terrified of aliens, I'm... but, I mean... I have always preferred
0: the Lovecraftian horrors because it's something that we're not familiar with. So it's when you say old gods and stuff, it's like mm-hmm. I can't just hire an exorcist or a priest or something. This is something that predates that and it scares me like it predates that. You know, and it's just a weird thing to me where the unknown's more scary than you know what you're dealing with. That's why I prefer the original Evil Dead over the remake because it's more Lovecraftian and I just think it gets dumb when we get to the Christian uh possession. And I I do like possession movies, um like The Exorcist is a classic. And um Beetlejuice. That's that's the best one. Demons um <laughs> is not a possession movie, but then we have like Night of the Demons, which they would be probably Christian demons, I would guess, suggested, but it's not really focused in that. It's more of the Halloween kind of thing. I don't know. It just doesn't work for me because it's just doesn't I never invest in these kind of movies. And just saying that I don't believe that kind of stuff. Um, is not why I don't like it because I do like stuff like The Changeling, which more of mm-hmm. more of a mystery. Even though there is a mystery in this figuring what happened, it doesn't ever seem very focused in its mystery like The Changeling, which is basically a, a procedural or or Devil's Backbone or The Ring, where you're legitimately trying to figure out what's going to happen. I love those; movies. those are great movies.
1: They're I higher. just don't
0: get this. This is just literally a best of the '70s done at fifty percent. Like it's like, no, we got The Exorcist scene. And then we got the Amityville scene. Right. And then we got this scene. It literally feels like every beat. And then we got the creepy doll.
1: It um, is, the creepy crawling on the stairs and like, it's just like girls in white running in the hallways. and It's everything. You, you know, and, and that that's the thing. Like it, the movie, you, you know, it's it's not necessarily like a bad movie. It's not because I don't believe in Ghost that It's not scary. Yeah, yeah. It, it's just, the, you know, when there's all the other movies that you could watch, you know, Go watch those movies. I mean, watch what inspired watch it. Watch Poltergeist. Watch Poltergeist. Watch, you know... Amityville. Um, Exorcist. You know, just, just a few months ago, we watched Noroi. Um, That's wh- a totally is, underrated ghost. It's not even a... It's supernatural weird. It's supernatural weird, but, you know, like... In, Love it. In Noroi, they do, um, like, a lot of... A lot of the scares are the fact that they film something and you don't notice it, and then they bring it to your attention yeah. later. And like, I really thought that this movie would do something similar. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, why couldn't they just put like a little Gooley man under the stairs that you wouldn't notice until they ran past a second time? I mean, you know, that me always. I don't know. That's, that stuff is always okay. you know upsetting to me. He, like they do it in science. Um, yeah. Like the leg in the cornfield always got to me. He, here's here's what the thing is. It's
0: a greatest hits, and it's a throwback to a bunch of movies that everyone loved. Mm-hmm. So, when they were like, oh, it's it's just something that I haven't seen in a very long time, done well. And, or, I don't, I, I doesn't, none of the things work for me, but it works for a lot of other people. It's something that people missed seeing a big spooky kind of, you know, not too offensive, too violent, or too different. Because it's very not different. It's very run-of-the-mill, except just well done. And they get to see it on the big screen. It gets this popularity, gets this buzz. It's also something that's very approachable for 90% of the horror crowd or everyday people can check out. Mm -hmm. Um, So I can see its appeal, but at the same time, when I watch something like this, I need a little bit different kind of going on or I need a more dramatic approach to it. Like I said, Georgie Scott, struggling with the loss of his family or Don't Look Now or anything. Like even movies I watched for the first time years ago and I think back on them, like I didn't maybe like them when they came out or saw them when they came out, but like I think back on certain movies and I'm like, you know what? No, that was good, or that was different, or that was something that bought,
1: had like me thinking about it for a long time. Mm-hmm. And this
0: just was very
1: forgettable for me. Well, you know, and, and I, I wonder if it's... I if, knew everything was going to be okay. Well, yeah, you know everything's going to be okay. <laughs> I, was that Possession of Emily Rose that came out... In the two thousand five, like Exorcism of Emily Rose. I watched that one. And you know that, that that's different, different though
0: because it, it's a mixture of a courtroom drama too. It, and it, they're in a barn. There's a part of a barn, but also <laughs> the
1: it, it seems a little bit more realistic. I, that's I, based on a true story too. I'm gonna rewatch that for O five, and I saw that in theaters. It's been a long time. I, it's been a long time since I've seen that. But I, I wonder if like it's like the same thing with the Hammer stuff, um, where I'm just like. Maybe because we watched Amityville and Exorcism recently. We watched these types of movies, so it's like, uh, it, it's a ghost one. It's like when we were watching the Hammer ones, we had like three mummies back to back. We didn't have three mummies back to back, but I understand there what are There were like saying. 15 mummies no, in that there's four Hammers. mummies. <laughs> <laughs>
0: and the last one's not even a mummy movie. The last one's no. based off the book and a jewel of whatever. <laughs> and it's insane. It doesn't but, make any you sense. Know, so I, I'm just, yeah, I understand. We, we weren't getting, we were getting tired, but never did we walk away from those Hammer movies thinking, I hate this.
1: I, I, I did a few times. The mummy ones. The mummy ones. Not, but the Draculas did start to get fun towards the end. I, I like
0: all the, almost all the Draculas, to be honest. I like them all. And I do. I have appreciation for them more than something like this because it's a genre I'm into, like gothic stuff. So I can pick up right. stuff. Like I feel like I'm picking up things here. This is just like, it comes down to my subjectivity is not for this. Like newer ghost films just don't do much for me. They never have. And they probably never will. You're talking about... Um, American ghost stories that are made in the last 20 years don't do much for me.
1: No, they're, they're garbage. But anyways, you were talking about um, Heather's earlier, um, which is the only film ever made. Stop. And, you know, the greatest ghost story ever made. Is that a ghost also, story? Ha- no, it has... It's Beetlejuice. Has, um... Also, there's ghosts in the Heathers. Heather Chandler shows up like three times after she's dead in the church scene. Maybe one other scene I can't remember. So, Heather's So, you're saying just because Glenn story.
0: Shadex is in the movie and he's in Beetlejuice, which involves. Whippin' or
1: a writer! Does that have anything to do with it? That makes no sense. This is I'm like, just trying to bring you know, You're like whole tunnel video vision.
0: This is like tunnel vision where you I come just back want to, to talk it. about Heather's. This <laughs> is all I want to talk review about Heather. you guys. We'll have high school horror movies or high school. Or, you know, I just talked about that because I was talking <laughs> about Heather's. And I was stuff like Tragedy Girls and Assassination Nation Ooh. and Spontaneous and Freaky and Final Girls. I feel like those all fit somewhat. Final Girls just in tone. But not why necessary.
1: watch any of those? Just watch others. Stop it. No. Just watch But honestly,
0: um, yeah, just I, <laughs> watch The Exorcist, Amityville, and Poltergeist and call it a day. Uh, I know that sounds rude, but this is a <laughs> mixture. This is like the... It's like if you buy like the greatest hits of like all the 80s or something the 70s greatest hits of the 70s but all the the dirty lyrics are cut out you get conjuring <laughs> <laughs> the greatest hits of the 70s ghost stories and possession stories but all all the naughty bits are cut out right all the thought provoking stuff and then at the very end it ends on a a very generic quote by the Warren it just also roasts me the wrong way because I know I I think those the Warrens were shysty people and then they're at the end like they're giving people these religious quotes it's no better than a televangelist to me and then it, it comes across as religious propaganda I'm sorry and I have no
1: problem with religion I just to have a problem when there's sheisty people behind it. Right. And also like the
0: like, And it is a fictional movie so I shouldn't do
1: that. I've only seen Rain Wilson Patrick Wilson in um I don't know why I confuse their names in, like, two other movies, and he was kind of like a shitty person. So <laughs> so he's, he's so good in those movies. Right, so like, I'm watching this, and I'm like, oh, that guy's a motherfucker. I, don't I, trust him. They improved his he's hair a
0: immensely in this movie <laughs> in comparison to Hard Candy. Um, but uh, whoever did the makeup on his hair was, it was great. Yes. Um, but there's also another thing. I should bring up the 1991 movie, The Haunted, which is a TV movie which has the Warrens in it, too. Really? Which has, yeah, but it's completely different. It's not like they're not the main focus point. They just come in and it's part of the true story as well. And I actually prefer The Haunted, that cheap 1991 movie, over this. I know it's like it has Jeffrey DeMunn in it and it's, it feels real. The family feels real. And then this remi, in this I almost called it a remake, in The Conjuring, I don't, the family doesn't register with me. I don't know who they are. I don't care who they are. They're just uh, vessels. And they are, in, in the literal sense and the, the metaphorical film sense, I guess, they're vessels.
1: Did you ever see um, Haunting in Connecticut? I yes, we watched cool. that years ago, and I don't remember a thing about it. I always confuse that movie with this movie, but that one is the one with the slime in it, right? The I don't know. I told you, I don't slime. remember a thing
0: ever. I don't remember Haunting in Connecticut being anywhere special to me either.
1: I thought that was fun, but it, it, it you, did involve more slime. Yeah, slime. So I, <laughs> I wonder if sounds what missing. Ghostbusters 2 is ten <laughs>
0: times better than Conjuring because of the slime. <laughs> I mean... No, but... Uh, The haunting in Connecticut two is called Haunting in Connecticut two: Ghost of Georgia. Stop it! And it's just like if whoever was the um the like the uh, PR person on there should have been like get out right
1: like the ghost that don't we well
0: man we got that haunting in Connecticut's doing gangbusters. What are we gonna do? Well, we got this Ghost of Georgia movie. (laughs) Hold my beer. Right. All right. I'm sorry. I know you love this movie, and you're like Dave. You just talked about White Rose Campus two weeks ago, which is just a bunch of perverts raping schoolgirls on a bus, and you gave it a recommend. And you're telling me that Conjuring isn't worth your time. That's that's who I am. And, like, I only have so many of these, like, weird, uh, crazy opinions that, like, after you have, like, like 15 or 20 of those consecutively people just start to think you're the crazy guy who's like can't you can't take their opinion seriously anymore like like i don't want to point out any names in the reviewing world but there is a couple guys where you're like oh they like this and you like that you start to like maybe as you older you get the weirder you get so it is like i don't like it because it's got a guy with brown hair next to a guy with blonde hair and then people like you've lost your fucking mind haven't you and you're like I hit my head.
1: <laughs> Just <laughs> not enough slime in this movie. Not enough. Or Glenn Shadix.
0: Conjuring 2. I meant Conjuring. Not very good. <laughs> not enough slime. Right. Where was Glenn Shadix? Um, that's that's the sequel. Is one? <laughs> there is two. Conjuring, the Conjuring to, 2. Where's Glenn Shadix? He died.
1: <laughs> At the bottom of the stairs. Get out. Okay. Stop. That's not funny. <laughs> no, it's not.
0: R.I.P. Glenn Shadix. Um, next week is Arsenic <laughs> and Old Lace. That is your pick. Yes. Um. Which should be fun, maybe. Angela Lansbury's in it, I think. so. Is she in
1: it? Is it Angela Lansbury or is it some other? Who, so, who's the one that's not Angela Lansbury? I'm thinking Maggie Angela, Smith. It's one of those two. Okay, maybe it's not. Yeah, we'll find out. It's probably
0: not. <laughs> it's gonna be like one of these classic. It's like, Betty Davis. It's not Davis, Betty Davis. David Bessie's a
1: power plant.
0: Okay, this this podcast is over.
1: Oh, we didn't rate this it. This isn't though. a podcast. No, I don't podcast. You all get to see my. Beautiful face. Okay, okay. What's your rating? Out of 10, you, you do? We didn't read the book, so our thing's all messed up. Yeah, there's no book. Uh, I
0: shouldn't say this. It's just cat hair. Uh, technically, technically, it's a better movie than I'm giving credit for. Yeah. But, um, I'll mix objectives of 6 out of 10. Probably, mm-hmm. I, I honestly feel subjectively it's like I would never watch it again. Um, fuck it. Uh, 5. Five. We'll five? It 5. I don't like it.
1: I mean, he did... Paused to make hotel reservations. I had to. We also paused it to make dinner. We Uh, didn't. I think my bagel was slightly moldy. Stop. Um, (laughs) So there were slime involved. I guess technically. Um,
0: See that 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 like takes away some of our. We paused it once. (laughs) (laughs) It was like thirty minutes in, and I was like staring and watching, and then like every I was just like, I was like, didn't I look at you a couple times? I was like, was that as bad as I thought it was? Like (laughs) I don't know. I, I was.
1: To sorry, man. Bagel. I
0: don't get it. You're talking to a guy who's not very picky. It's just not a genre I like. I'm, I'm very picky. I'm very picky in this genre. Um, Two out of five? Four. Yeah. That's rough. It's a better movie than that. It's just not something I like.
1: Maybe, but I'd rather watch Noroi again.
0: Oh, yeah. I'd rather watch Or Beetlejuice or Heather's. Or
1: any other ghost. Or, or Changeling. Or Amityville. Amityville Exorcist. Your Changeling and ghosts. my Changeling are not the same Changeling. I like the one with George C. Scott. I like the one with... Um, John Okovich. Angelina Lansbury. Next week is Arsenic and Jolie.
0: Angelina Jolie. Yeah. Get out, we're done. Alright, let's get into these questions. Where did you get that box of Tokyo Shock DVDs and is it completely random? what you get um i got it on ebay i think he's sold out of them now and it was completely random and there was a lot of doubles i got two boxes so there's kind of two double i got some doubles blu-ray collector nl how much was the godzilla set and the bruce lee set one bro i got those when they were uh, criterion 50 percent off one day flash sale so i think the godzilla was like 113 and bruce lee was like 63 or something like that so um if you want that price wait till the criterion sale get it right when they started on Barnes and noble and you could probably get the same price um ken coakley what's your favorite horror movie quote. Mine is, your suffering will be legendary even in hell, from Hellbound Hellraiser 2. A close second is the iconic when there's no more room in hell, the dead will walk the earth. From the dawn of the dead. I remember seeing billboards with that line on top, with the with dawn. The quote, in my opinion, was part of the legend. I, I would completely agree. Um, I'll give you my favorite quote from Hellraiser 2. Um, I love, I, there's so many quotes that I absolutely love. Just some off the top of my head. Um, you gotta be fucking kidding me from the thing. Um, Henry, it's either you or them, or... Uh, where he's like you look terrible there's just so many stuff and and a million movies so it's best just to pick a movie and pick the favorite quote from that and i will pick from one of your favorites here hellraiser 2 um when chenard is changed into the chenard cinebite and he walks out and he looks around for a second and he says "To think and to think I hesitated. That's just such a good line, such a good moment in the film. And it's just such a turn of the character finally accepting who he's become and who he really was all along. Love Hellraiser 2, if you guys don't know that. Love Channard, And I used to be a little annoyed with Chinard killing the Cenobites, But now I fully embrace Chenard as my favorite character in that movie. Um, just guess the best character arc of all the time. But uh, for Dawn of the Dead, I mentioned the line... Um, ain't it a crime? The only person who can miss with this gun would be the sucker with the bread to buy it. I think that is a fantastically underrated line in the seventies caliber, but on that whole speech, um, almost everything, um, that, um, Ken Forey says in that whole moment where he says, you know, Makumu voodoo, granddad was a priest. And tr- that whole moment, that whole, that whole moment is so well constructed because they do the speech and you have Galen Ross grab the coat and you can just feel, you can see visually her, get the chill that she got when he said that. And then it cuts to the zombies banging. And then the one on the ground is, does that hiss. Perfect scene. Um, just uh, editing well too, edited really well um, and fantastic, and all the music and sound cues work perfectly. Um, there's so many good lines in that movie. Um, dummies, dummies, this is not political rhetoric. Uh, that whole speech, uh, this is not the Republicans versus the Democrats where they got us in an economic. You know that whole thing is great. Um, everything he says is a great quote. Um, uh, one of my favorite. I'm see, I'm just going off Dawn of the Dead because that's where you got my mindset, and it's one of my favorite movies. But. Um, um, the people it kills get up and kill the people it kills get up and kill that whole thing right there that whole the back and forth between uh David Early and uh, what is it, it that, that's a great stuff too um, and then there's some Day of the Dead quotes that I absolutely love let them go goddammit, it or I'll cut you in half come on um and then, then everything Road says and Steele says right or, or Rickles everybody um just so many good quotes that's impossible to pick a favorite quote. To be honest, there's just so many good quotes. And then I guess we have some answers, which I probably shouldn't have asked this question because it immediately started controversy and there's people fighting and being rude to each other. And it's just like, if you don't like what somebody says, just scroll on past it now. Come on now. Um, so I basically said, any movies that are so dated they make you uncomfortable. And I went back and changed it or I said, make you, you know, kind of not just not just uncomfortable, but make you kind of uh, uh, distracted. So. Uh, shellac horror, much as I love them, some of the early James Bond films have their, and and let me get this through first, too. I'm against complete censorship. I take movies in the context they were made, but every once in a while, you can't be like, oh, that didn't date very well, or that's embarrassing for them. Doesn't mean I'm offended. Doesn't mean I think the movie should be banned. It means what it means. It means it looks dated. It doesn't work today. But I'm not holding that against the movie when I rate it at the end. Typically, I will not. Every once in a great while, something is so dated when it comes to CGI that it it actually hurts the movie really bad in, in terms of, believability but not in how characters act necessarily you know what i mean even if it's dated for that time but we have shalak much as i love them some of the early james bond films have their fair share of uncomfortable moments in the first one dr no sean connery very casually barks an order at a black side kick to go fetch bond's shoes and gold bond infamously forces himself on pussy galore and the sex is so good she uh defects from side of evil and Thunderball, he is just as bad repeatedly fondling a beautiful nurse despite her constant resistance Resistance. Yes, it's played for last mostly, showing how smooth Bond is. And I don't consider myself a prude, but some of those early scenes are just a bit too much. Still nothing compared to the original Bond books themselves, which are very much a product of their time. And then we have, on a completely different note, the 2011 movie The Lady is not the easiest watch nowadays. It stars the great Michelle Yeoh as Aung San Suu Kyi. think that's wrong, and tells a story of how she spent over 10 years uh, under house arrest for her radical political reform in Miramar. The movie depicts her as a selfless heroine, an icon to aspire to, which is how she was seen at the time. But in recent years, the controversy over her alleged role in the genocide of Miramar has cast a shadow over the movie. It's honestly a bit strange seeing someone be held up in such high praise when she'd have Such a huge fall from grace just a few years later. Also want to throw in my belated vote for the review of the Godzilla series. Despite what I said about James Bond, would be cool too. Uh Ken Coakley. Um, I can't think of movies that make me cringe uncomfortable, but 80s movies make me cringe and laugh because the decade as a whole was light. The horror movies were good, but outdated, and I choose thrash over the pop garbage. I remember seeing The Last House on the Left in 2006 in an all-night marathon. and These people were laughing at the beginning because of the 70s fashions. I leaned forward and said, I think it's only fair to tell you that you won't be laughing in 20 minutes. The movie's going to be really rough. 20 minutes later, they were all freaking out crying. <laughs> I love it I do love 80s movies though I can't help it I grew I grew up in um, I, I was born in 86 but I was in the video store from the time I was four till they closed so I was always renting 80s movies uh, and I do think the 80s horror movies are great objectively so hey Carson Morton, he says the 80s were awesome and uh, Ken Coakley responds, you must have been born in the 80s or after. I was in high school from 82 to 86 and life was no John Hughes film. Howard movies and Thrash Metal got me through. One upside was seeing Metallica with the late Cliff Burton. Yeah, that's awesome with it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I didn't grow up on John Hughes movies. I grew up more with horror movies myself. Um, and I do think that when we're not talking horror the 70s. Everything in the 70s probably even the horror movies for the most part blow the 80s out, you know. In terms of, like, discussion even. But I love the 80s horror movies almost as much as the 70s horror movies. I just can't vouch saying they're better than the 70s because they're not. Uh, Dead Flintstone. In Revenge of the Nerds, um, there's plenty of tacky behavior, including a straight-up sexual assault by Lewis. Nonetheless... Nevertheless, I still have a soft spot for the movie Creepy Dudes are just a hallmark of those 80s teen sex comedies. I remember watching Revenge of the Nerds. I watched Revenge Nerd 50 60 times. I love that movie to death. I show somebody it one day and it's like the breaking moment for me where I'm like, this is great, right? And they're like He just raped that girl. I was like Yeah. Guess he did. And it's just like it kind of clicked there. I still love the movie. I Nobody should take any life lessons from Revenge of the Nerds. If you do, don't watch any more movies, especially from the 80s. But uh, yeah, I remember that when that hit me. <laughs> and then we have Craig Blake, doesn't exist. Movies reflect the times they were made. Okay. But I understand what he's saying, but at the same time, you could still be like, that's dated. That doesn't age well. And still be like, well, it's the 80s, so it doesn't really matter. I'm not saying this movie should be banned. This movie should be burned. But you could say, didn't age very well but it was 1967. You know what I mean? Like, and I think more recent years are the ones that bother me more because I grew up in them. And maybe I lived them. And maybe I was guilty of some of the shit in there. So uh, watching it, you're like, eh, you start cringing and be like, yeah, we probably did some of that. Or we probably said some in, like uh, stuff that would hurt people's feelings now and didn't mean that, but it looks bad. And it just makes me, takes me to that place. You know what I mean? But when it comes to like 60s and I, people are like, man, I don't like how they're treating Native Americans. I was like, it's like the 60s. Like, I mean, like that's cowboy movie in general has that deal, but I understand it's dated. I just don't, it doesn't make me cringe as much. And then we have Michael Wilmenmeyer-Skirch, and he posts um, post, Freddie Got Fingered. Uh, GIF of that. And then uh, what do we have? Michael Wormishon, again, says Dave, the end of the strange era of MTV. Addison Heath, the Lost Boys, never been a fan, but holy shit, that thing has aged terribly. I love Lost Boys, saxophone and all. Zach Puccinelli on both of his accounts has to post Return of the Living Dead. Nonsense. Aged wonderfully. Ja-Paul, Jamal Porter, um, or Potter, the no, Lawnmower Man, although I've noticed a lot of mainstream films in the late 80s and 90s have dated very poorly. Yeah, Lawnmower Man, we joke around about being state-of-the-art. It's It always looked like shit. It wasn't even good at the time it came out. Peter McCain, it's usually bad CGI, like Escape from L.A., Matrix Reloaded, and the start of Event Horizon, that doesn't sit well with me. Um, Sean uh, David Petrie, uh, Blade, particularly the end. Nicholas Hunt, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, the movie. I'm telling Ivan, ooze on you. He's not going to be happy. Uh, Derek Heath, Pretty Little Maids All in a Row. David Luton, D.W. Griffins, The Birth of a Nation, 1915. A film that was technically brilliant and established cinematic technique that we still use today, but narratively is horribly racist. Still a landmark film, though. Um, and Jason Lindbergh, Don't Believe That Word. Um, Basically, he goes on. We talk a little bit about here and talk about he hates overrated and underrated, too. But those kind of words are kind of funny at the same time because the most popular movies of all time, there's going to be a decent percent of the population that thinks they're overrated. And the worst movie of all time, one person's going to like it and think it's underrated. So there we go. It's all perspective on that one. Adrian. All, everything from the 80s. Carol Downing, there are plenty of movies that are quite dated, especially from the 40s onward, as they reflect the exceptions of societal norms of the times they were made, of course. Hell, 80s and 90s movies are dated and even more recent when they reference fads of the time that future generations are not going to get. I agree. Peter England, the James Bond movies with Pierce Brosnan, uh, Cameron Miss Kestlin. Rewatch Never Been Kissed with my wife on Valentine's Day. Wow, it's problematic now. I never watched that movie, so I don't know. Um, usually, the ones that are like, oh, like, well, they have like basic rapes. Like in the seventies and eighties, it's just like bother them till they love you, bother them till they say yes. And nowadays, we know, like, yeah. Uh, but it's, like I said, a different time. Lee Jones, I don't think uncomfortable was the best word choice here, as discomfort implies emotional or physiological distress, but I'd say that in the most generic term, general terms, the thing in movies that have aged the worst, thus taking me out of the viewing experience and reminding me that the movies in question is a product of a certain time, is early CGI. Um, Alex DaVinci-O, anything with homophobia, sexism, racism, etc., that was considered fine at the time, but we now realize was wrong. I feel like 80s comedies are the worst offenders, but it was rampant in all genres, especially at the time. And then some people start getting an argument about the whole thing. Um, Daryl Marsh, Birth of the Nation, Bo Ransdell, Stay Away, Joe with Elvis. Um, I've seen a couple of Elvis ones. and Which ones did I see? Uh, Chimera, what's the, Char- Charo, Charo and uh, the Galahad Kid are the two I've seen. Um, probably dated, but I don't think anything was too offensive in them uh, for people. Peter England, um, basically, guess who's going to college? What's he got here? I'm not 100% sure. I think he posted a GIF. I didn't really get it. Um, I messed up and didn't write what he posted the picture of. Sorry about that. Um, I don't remember. Sorry about Peter. Peter Don Adams, the CGI in the It movies makes me uncomfortable and dates them from now. Uh, Jason Kleberg, 1995's White Man's Burden. I've not seen that. Cody Lee Harden, Clown House. For the first time ever, naming Clown House correctly. (laughs) Jordan Bibby, nope, nothing at all. Dustin Mills, Short Circuit 1 and 2. Loved them as a kid, but now the brownface antics are uh, jaw-dropping. Kayla Elizabeth (laughs) responds, your mother was a snowblower. Terrence Cover, 16 Candles. Jason A. Wallace, not so much a movie as how the editing was so silly in the late 80s with insert shots that are completely different lighting or way out of place with other photography and all the silly singles while uh, big heads sat in trailers instead of helping fellow actors. I, I I messed up and didn't put C more. I know what he uh, means. Like, yeah, like the stand-ins and stuff like that. Uh, Kelly Casson uh this is a hard question. Gene Von Barnard, DeadCon, David Morvin, Porkies, Kinda. Matthew Hudson, most of the time I am pretty good at watching stuff in the mindset of the time it's creation. Some movies certainly haven't aged well, but I can take that. A good example that probably won't be brought up is Monster Squad. Still love the movie, but there's a fat-shaming homophobia, and it does promote smoking is cool to kids. I still love the damn thing, though, and I will until I die. And really, almost all those things are true from almost every 80s film and the kids going on an adventure. There's however one movie I used to love, but I doubt we'll be able to watch again. Bill Cosby himself. Yep, that one is gone for, forever gone for me. Bill Cosby is definitely done uh, because, like, Bill Cosby it was, like, the last guy I would think and that it was just like, oh, man, every. it's actually the last person you think is bad, is bad. But as far as Monster Squad is, I never had a problem when they portrayed bad people in a negative light, like the bullies. And I think using that word for a kid's movie is probably dated now, but I think, like, 13 probably could watch that more. I think that one it's dated, but I think the age just hires on it. Although I feel like there's nothing wrong with me and I used to, maybe there was something wrong with me. Nothing serious, nothing serious. I'm fine. I watched lots of crazy movies. I was watching Hellraiser at age nine, 10. So I was, I don't know if I would worry about my kid watching some stuff really that young. It's different time though. Okay. Dustin Mills responds. Uh, Matthew, hot, and Monster Squad forever, but yeah, it's got issues. Horace gets his big moment, the homophobic, homophobic. He he responds here. I didn't read his response before. <laughs> Getting old. Horace gets his big moment, and the homophobic slurs mostly come from mean kids. I can excuse those those for the most part. The thing that gets weirder for me every time I watch is the Virgin stuff. It's bizarre. I think about Bill Cosby at himself all the time as a kid the movie was the funniest thing i've ever seen and i would quote it constantly i loved it so much now everything the man has touched is irrelevantly um sorry about that (laughs) he that word's a tongue twister for me right now he i can't do it i am a dumb dumb today tainted by his crimes it makes me really sad and having loved that movie so much leaves a sour taste in my mouth you ever do that where you like see a word and you say it 10 times the day before, but then when it's spelled out, you just get tongue tied. People are probably like, No, you're dumb. Don't make excuses, but hey, dumb. Oh well. Matthew Hudson, I wanted to point out the virgin stuff, but I was really tired when I wrote that and couldn't act- articulate it. I used to be able to quote uh Bill Cosby in its entirety. I honestly probably still could. BJ Calangelo, 16 candles. Virginia Shine, I remember liking State and Maine for the fun Hollywood jokes. Pulled out the DVD and watched Dr. Man, so cringy post, hashtag me too. Uh, Salvador Funkenstein, two I can think of right off the bat, Cabin Fever and Boondock Saints. Thought it was cool when I was younger, but it's so cringe now. Then we have some comments. Tolbarone, 007, I appreciate you going after the language subject. It's as complicated as we want to make it. I use the Rawls' cloak of blindness to help me personally decide what language to use. I respect humor as long as, it's, uh, as the direction of the joke is good. I have no doubt that 22 Shots meets no harm. However, they have a responsibility about what they say. They have crossed the line a few occasions, probably unknowingly, but should now try to embrace the criticism. I mean, yes i think i understand like i i've been on the show too where like some stuff has got out of hand but i think like most of the time i just like jokes are jokes and we always said that jokes are jokes but certain language i do think is like that's too much and it mostly we like we said we've kind of um addressed some of that and uh, jeremy said he's going to be better about it because jeremy likes to make jokes that are really offensive that um don't really have a punchline, so the, the joke in itself is the offensive thing, and we're all just like, okay, we get it, not funny, but that's yeah, just this, this kind of thing, you know. It is what it is, and I, I, I've talked about it, like I don't particularly like it either, but you could be better about it, so. Hopefully that helps. Issa Misio, The Queen of Black Magic, is the best horror film I've seen in 2021 so far. Build-up was great and school bus scene was creepy, but third act kind of dropped for me. The CGI centipedes were hilarious, though. Yeah, not sure why people are so hard on Zombie. Devil's Rejects is awesome. Didn't even hate 31 because Doom had. Snoophead was such a strong character for me. I'm indifferent about his remakes because I was never a big fan of Halloween franchise except for Season of the Witch. The fact that people are berating him for casting his wife is ridiculous. Plenty of directors do that. Simon Sono, Eli Roth before he divorced from Lo Rosenza Izzo, Mike Flanagan, Dario Argento. If you have a craft you're proud of, having your family be that support system and participate in your passion is a great thing. Recently saw The Deeper You Dig and that movie is pretty much a family project. The type of involvement is commendable. I swear you have like three or four copies of Id now. Great update. <laughs> I, I I think i do three at least zach nolan the innocence is very spooky incarnate not to sound like a broken record but you're jamming uh, but you're jamming on scooping up all these fun and wild japanese flicks lately makes me happy awesome Ilk vomit wow i'm really early there's no nick mua comment yet and he didn't comment this week which is really weird to me so then we have Oh, who, who said this? Oh, Ilk vomit still continues on. So uh, I can now rest peacefully knowing you finally got the Godzilla set from Criterion and Bruce Lee, which I hope you start reviewing as soon as next week. Unfortunately, I don't think so. And a giveaway for patrons only? Come on, Dave. What about all us loyal listeners? I'll, I'll do something. Uh, and the Biz Cut Bip Horror Reviews. Joy of Torture is a really wild film, especially for 68. Not particularly gory, but it's got some seriously rough sequences. The sequel to its Shogun Sadism is also very rough, but it's more splatter-focused and gory. Good review, as always, Dave. Thank you. Um, then we have Peekin Boo. This is pretty long, so bear with me. The funny side notes with um, the Ebola syndrome is that the Cantonese words, you, boom, li" means Ebola. You might hear it when it, you pronounce it in Cantonese, even if you aren't fluent. The second, as you mentioned, uh, he's being a bully, and he doesn't understand and gets even more mad. I can't remember what word they used towards him in the movie, but just out of coincidence, I'd like to share this different words you can use uh, to describe bully in Cantonese. Um, Weeksie? Um, W-E-I-X-I-E to Menace, Dippy, Bully, and then Q-Y-A to Bully, Um, and Q-U to Bully, and then the funny um, thing, Wuman to Bully Humiliate. You always pronounce the word woman as you pronounce woman in English. So that is, so if that was the word they used towards him in the movie, he might have taken offense. Plus, there are a bunch of insanely funny quotes from him in the movie also. Typically Chinese humor, basically all men are pigs and only have one thing on their minds. Women are useless and only in the way to cause problems. Not saying it is so, but their humor derives from that, and it does really well. Um, Queen of Black Magic sounds and looks really great. Just read that there are four different CGI departments for the movie. Not seen the original myself, nor the mo- other movies from the makers of this one. I seriously need to rewatch House of Thousand Corpses. Remember it being quite good. And the Devil's Rejects, which you reviewed here, did not care first and so far only view. But as more you talked about it, I went with William Forsythe is indeed underrated. About the monster meter you and Jeremy talked about, where would Aquaman fit in that? Remember Aquaman just wanted to hug people. A joke I came up with as I wrote the review on it. I even wrote a poem for Aquaman. <laughs> Octaman. Okay, so where would Octaman fit in the monster meter? Um, definitely towards the Man of Wars from Sting of um, maybe a little bit higher. I mean, there's that whole rumor with the Octoman suicide and stuff like that, so it's weird. Uh, not a second, I think, or even felt that since I, Mr. Park is a hypocrite or being rude, understand your point on the matter. I think when director screen renders right characters in their lines, it is they want to make them bad or at least unlikable. Can't remember the specific quotes from Hostel being offensive or anything, maybe because I used to way worse things done to me or said, as long as it said I saw the entire trilogy. By the way, the third wanted me to see a fourth movie since it was played out in Las Vegas, and I had a friend who works there as an exotic dancer, um, stripper, and crazy story she has told me is really screwed up. Your update is just wow. Sorry for the long text. Keep doing what you're doing. Oh, I have no problem with villains being portrayed as villains. In fact, I want them to be portrayed as villains, and I always felt uh, stuff like Becky kind of wussed out when those bad guys, they should have been bad guys. I think you actually send a false message when you're, you can make a great character, but when you get down to the point of making like a character in Becky, which is like very reminiscent of, you know, um, fight for your life or something like that, they should be bad. I do like great, bla- uh, bad characters, but I, I feel like characters like, and Becky should have talked more like trash people than they did. But, uh, yeah, I guess we're going to hop into the update. Oh, question of the week i almost missed it again i keep doing this but since i got that new uh 85 inch q lid samsung tv i want to know what movies look best in 4k what what 4k movies look the best okay so shoot out some ones i i mean there's some i have but what 4k movies are absolutely the best of the cream of the crop so tell me some all right okay let's hop into this update first a couple 4ks we got ghostbusters that's right uh if I'm going to rewatch Ghostbusters, might as well watch it in 4K. Bustin' makes me feel good. All right, then we have Hereditary, which um, I only saw the one time in theaters, and I want to revisit it. Definitely probably going to have to watch it for the summer series anyways. I can't imagine this does not make the final list a very popular movie. I remember liking it. Um, it's, a, it's, it's one of those movies that a lot of these movies like that. I walk out of the theater, and I don't know what to think, and you'll usually end up being the best, best movies around. You know what I mean? Typically, the ones that kind of shock you, like, how did I feel about that? Then we have The Bride with White Hair from Eureka. This uh, movie looks awesome. I've not seen it. Um, cool addition as well. And then we got Mr. Vampire. This movie's really fun from 1985. Um, yeah, from Eureka. the special edition here. I hope they release the other ones. I've never seen the other ones. There's a bunch of them. There's the Mr. Vampire 2, 3, 4, and then Vampire vs. Vampire, and there's some other ones too. So then we have Black Magic 2 from 88 Films. I do have one on the way. Um, I've never seen the Black Magic movies, so yeah. Um, and then we have the Enchanting Ghost, another 88 Films release from their Asian line. And then we have the Handmaiden, uh, double disc edition, the ero- uh, the extended, I almost said the erotic version, the extended and the theatrical versions here. Um Heard good things about this movie. I've never actually got to see it. I have face recognition on here, so I apologize. Usually I turn that off for the update. Then we have Personal Shopper from Criterion. Not seen this movie. Kristen Stewart. Let's see. I, I had to watch the Twilight movies. You guys know that story. So let's see if she can act. <laughs> um, I don't know if anybody can act in the Twilight movies. Underwater was good, though. So um, Then we have some stuff I ordered from Vinegar Syndrome. This is Minor Premise. This is actually from a different line, Utopia, though. This is the second Utopia release. So. Then we have Jeremy. Isn't this uh, still fun? I think. Then we got a 4K of Sex World from, the, from uh, Picarama from Vinegar Syndrome. Very cool. It's going to be weird to watch porn in 4K. I really, um, I kind of want to put it in. Then we have The Fear. Never actually seen The Fear. I remember the cover art very well. Yeah, there's the original cover art I saw that was at the video store. It's like a woodman or something like that. It's one that I walked by a million times. Hitcher in the Dark by uh, Lindsey. Very cool. Everybody can can uh, retire them old street show DVDs, right? Very cool cover. That just would suck you in, like you're in the dark. I gotta watch this. I've never seen that one. Then we got the Forgotten Gialli box set, volume three. That's right. We're gonna continue this uh, on the podcast under the stairs. Almost done with volume two, actually. Recording tomorrow. What do we got in this bad boy? Autopsy, which I argued at one point isn't that forgotten, because I I, miss, I remember it. I you know I've seen that one. Murder Mansion, which I don't think I've seen. Looks fun. It's like some sort of Murder Mansion. Crazy Desires of a Murderer. Cool. I love this series so far. I hope they keep going forever. I want to do 50 of these sets. I love these boxes, by the way, too. Very cool. Then we got *House of Usher*, Edgar Allan Poe's. I forgot the. I forgot about this one. This is from the Vinegar Archive. I did. Got to make sure I get all those. They go out of print, and they're impossible to get. <laughs> Oliver Reed, Donald Pleasance. Can't beat that, right? And then uh, some Blu-rays. We have *Exorcism of Emily Rose*. Did not have this Blu-ray. Gonna definitely check it out for 5 I actually saw this sucker in the theaters. I remember it. And then some DVDs: *Love Bites* uh, from Asker Video. Uh, this is by the same people that made *Venus Flytrap*, which is a really solid shot-on-video film. This is a gay-oriented Dracula movie. I'm not sure how's it gonna, how's it, it is actually. And then we have *Nurse Diary*, *Beast Afternoon* from Impulse, and the Katza Erotic Films Collection. Again making sure I, I keep my pervert card here. And then these, I ordered some replacement cases for, I I got a, I ordered some online because it's, that's why I finally found some, but there's just so many movies that I'm ordering on DVD that they don't have a Blu-ray and the cases are just so gross. I just want to replace them. And this is the I the original. I've never seen this one. Palm. And then we have the I 2, another case I'd like to replace pang brothers movie and finally the i3 there is a fourth one called the child's eye which i did not get yet but uh yeah that's the first three fly i i films what i call them the fly but anyways back to the video guys all right guys thank you very much for watching and as always have a good
1: one mm.